Hey, see that guy over there? Boy, does he have problems. Thank God I'm not like that guy. Really? You're not? Yeah, really? Judaism, that's what we're talking about this morning. We've been studying different world religions throughout this series. And one of the things that we said at the very beginning and we've said over throughout the series is one of the things that you'll hear in our culture is that basically all religions are fundamentally the same. They're just superficially different. And hopefully as you've joined us throughout this series, you've come to realize, maybe if you, are, you already realize, that that's really insulting to those people in those religions because they wouldn't agree with that statement. We would say that all religions are fundamentally different and at best, superficially the same. You know, we've been using this map throughout the series to sort of highlight the differences in religions in the United States. And this is one of those religions. It's baseball, right? And, and if Jesus were to walk into a bar tonight in Chicago, chances are he'd encounter some baseball fans watching a game in a season that starts tonight, right? And I'm not going to make any comment that the red underneath that Cub area is bigger, but I just wanted to point that out. And also, for you Sox fans who are sitting there looking at Chicago going, wait a minute, what's going on here? This is actually an interactive map that you find on the New York Times. And they actually put face, they are contracted with Facebook to find out who liked what team. And then they plotted that by zip code. And if you look up there next to the Cubs, you see this like gray area. That's I'm, I'm, not making, I'm not slamming Sox fans, okay? This is just the data. And so that's where Sox fans, where the majority of Sox fans live. And those zip codes, that's the team that people root for. And so the Sox are up there. You just have to zoom in on the map to see White Sox. You'll notice there are other teams that aren't up there either, but you have to zoom in to see that. So, but you would say this is a religion, but I think there's things that we can, we can learn from baseball fans. You know, when we look at the map that we've looked at, which is a, a map showing the second largest faith tradition in each of the states in the United States. Christianity, again, is the largest faith tradition in every state in the United States. But here is a list of the second largest faith traditions in the United States. The gold out west is Buddhism. That burgundy color there in Arizona and over in Delaware, that's Hinduism. The light blue, green down in South Carolina, that's Baha'i faith. The Green that you see in the, in the middle and sort of like on the East Coast, that's Islam. And then the pink is Judaism. Now, while Judaism worldwide is not that big of a religion, in the United States, it's the second largest faith tradition in the United States by number of people. Although Pew Research says in several years that will change. Now, here's one of the things I think we can learn from baseball. When you sit down in a bar and you were in Chicago tonight, and even if you were a Cardinal fan, you could go into that bar and you might get ribbed and they might say something to you. At least most fans would treat you well. They may not say nice things about you, but they would treat you well. And you could get into a conversation and you could talk about baseball, even with a Cub fan, if you were a Cardinal fan. Or if you were in St. Louis, the same thing would happen. There'd be exceptions, but you could have a conversation and baseball fans come in all shapes and sizes and colors and all different faiths and religions and you could walk in and you could find people in that bar that were Jews in the bar that were baseball fans. And you could talk about baseball. But when you start to talk about religion, things change. 
right? And what we want to make sure that you understand in this series that we can learn from baseball is this is about people, not about a game. In fact, I think you'd find it easier to convert somebody to Christianity than you could convert somebody from being a Cub fan to a Cardinal fan. But this is about people, and we must not lose this, this side of this fact that it's about people. It's not about a concept. It's not about a belief system. We're talking about religion, but we're really at the heart of it talking about people. How does Jesus, how would Jesus speak to someone of a different world religion? And what can we learn from the way he speaks to people of different world religions? Now, the cool thing about this weekend is we know Jesus actually spoke to Jews. We don't know that he spoke to a Hindu or a Buddhist, and we know he didn't speak to a Muslim because that didn't happen until about 600 A.D. But we know for a fact that he spoke to Jews. In fact, he himself was a Jew. All his followers were Jews. So the cool thing is we have record in the scriptures of Jesus speaking to Jews, and we can learn this morning how he spoke to one particular Jew in a particular setting. But Judaism, as a religion, has been around one one of the oldest religions, in the world. And it's one of the three monotheistic faiths in the world. One God. Christianity, Islam, Judaism. One God. One of the three major monotheistic faiths. And we share a lot in common with Israel, with Judaism. We share all of these books in our Bible, which are the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, are the Hebrew Scriptures. And they divide them a little different, but they're the same books. The Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. The Torah, meaning the first five books, the Pentateuch, the books of the law. And they call the Nevi'im the prophets, and the Ketuvim the writings. But the Torah, as we see here, refers to those first five books that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai. But in Judaism, the Torah also explains all of the Hebrew Scriptures. It can be spoken of as all the Hebrew scriptures, which include not only the written law, but the oral law, the Mishnah, would be considered sacred. And then there's another collection of writings called the Gemara, which actually comments upon the Mishnah. And that's accumulated in a book called the Talmud. And all of those together make up the Hebrew scriptures. So they're very similar, but then they're also very different in what they consider to be their sacred writings. But when you look at Judaism today, in the United States and even in Israel, it bears some resemblance to the Judaism that we read about in the Bible. And so we must understand that there's a difference between what we see in the Bible and what we see in the world today, especially here in the United States. Here in the United States, there are different denominations of Judaism, and they don't all believe the same thing. There is a large portion of Jews in the United States that don't even believe in God, but still consider themselves to be Jewish and would still, by their branch of, or their denomination, be considered Jewish. But they all sort of agree and disagree in some areas. But in Jesus' time, it was by birth. It was an ethnic faith. It was a nation. Today, you can't consider Israel a nation. It is a nation, but it's not defined strictly by religion. 14% of the state of Israel is Muslim. So Israel itself is not just an ethnic, when we talk about religion, not just an ethnic, ethnic group. It's not a nation. It's very diverse. 
Adults convert to Judaism. What used to be an ethnic race is now all different shapes, sizes, and colors. Because adults convert to Judaism and would be considered, as an adult convert, a Jew, even though they were not born Jewish. It's really complicated. And it's really convoluted. But there's one thing that we could say about all Jews that Jews would say about themselves. They're people of the book. They're people of the Torah. Because it was the Torah that God gave to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. God's holy people. God's set-apart people. They're set-apart, why? Because God gave them the book. The book from above. The Torah from above. Israel is made holy, set-apart by God who gives them the book that tells them what God says and how to live. And it's as they live by that book, the book from above, that instructs them that they would say is what it is to be a Jew. What it is to be set apart, what it is to be holy, is to be people of the book. And how you live according to that book. And if you live according to that book, Israel can then bring about the kingdom that God promised here on earth. And the fundamental difference is we say, no, it's about this word right here. The difference is we say we're set apart by what Jesus has done. We sang that in those songs before the message what he has done for us. Jesus is the righteousness of mankind. And so today, to understand that difference and to see Jesus actually speaking to a Jew who had the first idea about what it meant to be set apart, what it meant to be holy, we're going to read a conversation that he has with a man named Nicodemus. And we're going to turn to John chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd ask you to open them up as we look at John chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Version because there's some things that it says here I think are really interesting to point out. I'm actually going to begin in chapter 2, which sets up these verses in chapter 3. And to set the scene, Jesus has been in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. In fact, he's cleared the temple. You know, the money changers are in there, and he's cleared the temple. And he's, John says he's performed many miracles. And as a result of that, it says, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name observing his signs, which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, he himself knew what was in a man. A couple of things I want to point out there. They said they believed in his name. They believed in the miracles that he was performing. They knew from the scriptures that if someone was performing miracles that Jesus was performing, that he was from God. And so they knew he was from God because of the miracles that he was performing. But we see Jesus said he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. See, they, they knew that he'd perform miracles. They'd seen that, but they hadn't accepted what Jesus was teaching, what he had said about himself. They'd put faith in his miracles, and the miracles are meant to draw men into himself. But without the word of God, without Christ's words, there's no faith. And so Jesus doesn't entrust him to that group of people. But then it's from that group of people that we see this next conversation. There's this conversation with Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from the God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
Now, some things I want to point out to you here about this story that we can learn that will help us understand how Jesus has this conversation. We see that Nicodemus is a Pharisee, and in fact, they, John lists Pharisee first here in this text. He points that out first to make a point to us. He's identifying him as a Pharisee first. His name is second. So the thing he wants us to know is that he's a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he would know the Scriptures. In fact, at his age, Nicodemus would have had the entire written law memorized. All of it. And he would have known it. And this is a group of men that had... Some of them dismissed Jesus, but they were thought of well in Israel. Sometimes we think of Jews today or the Pharisees today, and we say, well, those are the bad guys, those are just the hypocrites. But that's really false because Jesus spoke well of them. They did obey the law, and they did so from a true heart, even though they were misled, even though their eyes were closed. Not all of them were closed because Nicodemus is there talking to him. What's the other thing that we see? He came to Jesus by night. Why do you think he came to Jesus by night? Anybody? Yeah, he didn't want to be seen, right? He didn't want any of his other fellow Pharisees to see him coming to Jesus. Why? Because he knew what they would say. Right? We know that later when he defended Jesus in the Sanhedrin, he stepped up and they turned to him and said, wait, wait a minute, are you one of his friends? Are you from Galilee too? So Nicodemus knew exactly what they would say. So he comes at night, cautious of what his fellow Jews, what his fellow Pharisees would say about him. The next thing he says is that we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Why? Because of the signs. He's saying, we know. Why? Because we are people of the book. We have the written word of God. And so we know what it is that you do. Right? But Jesus replies to him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again... He cannot see the kingdom of God. You notice anything here? This is why I chose this translation, because it gets it right in the text. Jesus answered and said. Nicodemus never asked the question. He just made a statement. But remember the verses we read in 23 to 25 in, verse, in chapter 2? It said he knew what was in a man's heart. Jesus knew exactly the question Nicodemus wanted to ask, but didn't ask. And so he answered the question Nicodemus really wanted to know. Right? He's really wanting to know, are you really the Messiah? And this is how Jesus answers him. Truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There's another word I want to point out to you. It's this word, again. It can also be translated, anew. But it also means from above. It's not just that you have the right thinking, that you have the right understanding, that your mind has been enlightened, but know that you have literally been born again. Born not just again here on earth, but born from above, from God. He goes on. This is where Nicodemus says, how can that be? That a man be born when he is old. He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? And we read from the commentators that he's not being disrespectful. He's not just dismissing what Jesus has to say. He's truly inquisitive here. 
Because he's got a question on his heart. Is he really the Messiah? Now Jesus had said something to him that just completely blew his mind. Think about another person that came before Jesus and talked to him and and sort of just dismissed him. It was Pilate. Jesus said, I've come to testify to the truth, and those who are on the side of truth listen to me. What does Pilate say? What is truth? And what does he do? Walks away. Doesn't even stay and listen to the answer, and the, the full embodiment of truth is standing right before him. If he really wanted to know the answer, he could have stayed and listened. But he didn't want to know the answer. He was making a statement. He wasn't asking a question. Nicodemus is asking a question, humbly asking a question. How can this be? He goes on to say, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. What does that remind you of? Baptism. Baptism. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. That is exactly what Jesus is teaching. Nicodemus would have known of the testimony of John the Baptist. But he also knew the scriptures. Remember, Jesus is talking to a Pharisee. Jesus doesn't say things to Nicodemus without understanding Nicodemus' understanding. And he's referring back to something. He's trying to bring Nicodemus back into the scriptures of what he knows. And he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, says the prophet Ezekiel to the people of Israel. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. To be born from above is something that God does. And God alone does. And he will do it by water and by the spirit. It's not just the sign, but the word and God himself that performs the miracle. It will not be by being born a Jew. It will by being, being born again from above. Jesus goes on, or it goes on. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. It's not just an enlightenment. It's not just a new understanding. Because what the flesh gives birth to is flesh, is sin, is sinful. To be reborn again, to be reincarnated again, is to be reincarnated in the flesh. Nothing happens. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. It is only God's Spirit that produces a spiritual birth, a new nature, and a new life. Only God accomplishes that. Not the tribe into which you were born. Jesus goes on. Oh, I go back. John in chapter 1. Remember what he says. It's, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will, nor of flesh, nor of the, of the will of a human, but born of God. And here again, he's using Jesus' words to remind us of what he said already, but it's born of God, not born again of man, but born of God. And it is God that's doing the action. It is God that is doing the saving. And he says to Nicodemus, so do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. 
The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is with everyone born of the Spirit. Something I want to point out to you here, this word you. A lot of times it says you when he's speaking to a specific person, singular. But here in the text, the you is plural. And what he's saying is everyone. It's not just you, Nicodemus, but everyone must be born again. It's not good enough that you were born into the tribe of Israel. Flesh gives birth to flesh. You must be born again from the Spirit from above. And it is only God that affects that change. It is only the Spirit of God that can make all men new. That's the promise. And he goes on to say to Nicodemus, or Nicodemus says to him again, how can this be? And Jesus answered and said to him, aren't you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you did not, not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Again, we see Jesus saying, or John saying, Jesus answered and said. But here there's a question. John wants to point out to us something very specific, something very important here of what Jesus says in these, in these verses. Are you a teacher of Israel? Aren't you a Pharisee? You know the scriptures. He's reminding Nicodemus of what he already knows. So what is Jesus trying to remind him of here? Because remember, he's really searching. He wants to know. But he also knows the Old Testament very well. And Jesus reminds him that he knows the Old Testament very well. So what is Jesus trying to teach him? I think Jesus is reminding him of this proverb. In Proverbs 30, verse 4, where the writer says, Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the winds in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name or his son's name? Surely you know. Who has ascended? Who has descended? Who has come from heaven? Who gathers all the waters together? Who gathers the wind? Who knows where it blows? But who gathers it? Who created it? Who created everything? He's bringing Nicodemus to a verse that Nicodemus would have known to say to Nicodemus who he was. That he is the son of God. That he is God himself. It's not the word of God that come down. It's God himself incarnated and man that is speaking to Nicodemus. That is what Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus right here. He's testifying to who he is. Clearly, he's saying to Nicodemus, I am God. That is who is speaking to you. And he goes on to say, As Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So whoever believes in him will have eternal life. From Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9, it was the children of Israel that were wandering in the desert and grumbling and unhappy and complaining to Moses and over and over again complaining in God's sense, poisonous vipers into their midst. And they bite the Israelites and Several and many of them die. 
And they go crying to Moses, save us, Moses, save us. And what does God tell Moses to do? Take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and hold it up. And everyone who looks on this serpent will live. Can you imagine anyone in the children of Israel saying, how can that be? We might say that today. But chances are when everyone around them are being bitten and their friends are being bitten by snakes and dying and Moses says, look at the serpent, I'm looking at the serpent. Because I'm in mortal danger. Jesus is saying to Nicodemus and to us, everyone born of the flesh is in mortal danger. Everyone. It is Jesus who will be lifted up that the world must look to, to be saved. It is Jesus who will be the Savior of the world. He is the sacrifice that God has provided. And He will be lifted up. John goes on, for God, or Jesus goes on, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved God so infinitely loved the world, not just the Jewish people, the Gentiles, the Hindu, the Buddhist, Muslim. God so loved the world that he sent his son to provide a way for everyone so that all who call on his name would not perish but have eternal life in Jesus. And Nicodemus would have remembered these words because the next time we hear of Nicodemus' name after that time in the Sanhedrin is at his death. When Nicodemus goes with Simon and they prepare Jesus' body for burial, something changed in Nicodemus. He remembered those words that the Son of Man must be lifted up. And Nicodemus had to have seen it all. And now he's not really concerned about what his Pharisee friends say because he does this in the day. And we know, I would reckon, although we don't know from Scripture, that he had to have been there to see Jesus rise again. He had to have been one of the disciples that have seen Jesus rise again and remembered everything that he said and everything that he saw. Testifying to who Jesus is. So what can we learn from Jesus as he interacts with this Jewish Pharisee, this Jewish man 2,000 years ago? What can we learn today? Well, the one thing we learn is that while Jesus knows a man's heart, we don't always know a man's heart. In order to know someone, you have to be in relationship with them. You have to be doing life with them. It's not just somebody you meet on the corner that you could understand their heart. But Jesus gives us a way to deal with that person too, as we see throughout the scriptures. When Jesus dealt with someone, he wasn't sure about what their intention was, although he was, he would ask them another question to sort of expose what their true question was. Nicodemus, he knew his heart. So he gave him answers. For us, it's a little more difficult, so we should ask questions before just giving answers. It's a great technique. It's a great way to elicit what the true question is. So we learn from Jesus in that regard. What we also learn from Jesus in that regard is that it's difficult for a person of a different faith to come to understanding, to come to faith, because they give up so much in order to do so. Abdu Murray talks about, he's a Muslim who became a Christian, He said that for years he just didn't want to believe what he knew in his head to be true, like Nicodemus. He knew in his head what he saw, 
but he couldn't make the connection in his heart. It took years because he knew it would cost him so much. And he says that of his Jewish friends. And they say that they, they waited and waited because they knew it would cost them so much. And when they did, exactly what happened, family would turn to them and say, you've turned your back on Judaism. You're killing Judaism. So we know that in order for someone to come to faith in Christ, it's going to take Christ to move them. It will take a work of God himself. We will not argue someone into believing. We will not argue a Jew into believing in Christ as their Messiah. That will be the work of God, but he will use us to plant seeds, to befriend. So at the hope, as Peter says, that we're prepared to always give an answer to everyone who asks us the reason for the hope that we have. What happened? Nicodemus came to Jesus asking questions because of what he saw in Jesus' life. Peter says, we too must live as Jesus so that the people that we're in relationship with and that we know come to us and ask, tell me why you have hope in this situation. But there's also something else we learn. Jesus knew his scriptures, right? He knew his scriptures so he could instruct Nicodemus, someone who knew the scriptures. You know, today in Israel, the young boys by age of 12 have memorized the first five books of the Bible memorized it and the rabbis have memorized all of it we need to take a page out of their book our book and know our scriptures so that as we come along someone of a different faith we know our scriptures well so that we can just listen to what they have to say and we can teach as jesus taught from our scriptures and with a jew from their scriptures we can learn a lot from jesus but we also learn a lot that not all will believe. Not all will believe in the testimony that we give because not all believe in his testimony. They still mocked him. They still rejected him. But he still calls us to join him in that endeavor because some will. Like Nicodemus, some will. Some are asking questions already in their heads. Some of your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and maybe some of your relatives are asking those questions already, you have opportunity to spend time with people of different faiths. I said it last time, this is a challenge for me, but this one hits home for me. Gary and I share a nephew who's a Jew, and I have a cousin who just two months ago converted to Judaism from Christianity. And I've got a lot of questions. But I need to take a page out of Jesus' book. We need to take a page out of his book as to how we have those conversations how we do so gently, how we understand that the person that we're talking to is a person and not just a people and not just them. But they, too, were created by God. God has made a way for them as well, for all mankind to be saved, and his name is Jesus. I pray that you would share that with the world. Amen. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the revelation that we have in Jesus. We thank you for the love that you have for us. And we are amazed that you are so patient with us. Father, we thank you for your love. We gather here this morning and confess that we are oblivious sometimes to that love. The things that we know, like Nicodemus, we forget. And we start trusting in ourselves and we start trusting in the things that we know and what we want to do. 
But your word reminds us that you've already done what it takes. There's nothing we can do to add to what you've done. So Father, as we confess our sins, we're reminded of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And we thank you in his name. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about our relationship with Christ, or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T L C the number four, and the letter U, dot org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.